0: Take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, verses 13 through 52. A large portion of Scripture. Uh, we're not going to break it down too finely this morning, uh, so we're going to move through it fairly quickly. But uh, this is one, one unit, one sermon of, of Paul's that we need to, uh, we need to see uh, all together. Now, uh, looking at this picture that's about to pop up, little congregational participation. Oops, I messed that up. You weren't supposed to get the answer there. Uh, oh, well, what do you see? Uh, I see. Once you heard people say trees and you saw the can't see the uh-huh. uh huh. You see trees, except. Some of you then realized, oh, oh, the forest. Well, it's, it's, it's well known that we have a difficulty if we're too close to something. Uh, we have difficulty seeing that thing for what it really is. Uh, we might see uh, small details, but we miss the big picture. Um, of course, we can take that into family relationships. You know, uh, oh, you know, my wife thinks I'm absolutely wonderful, But that's because she's close to me, and when people step back and they go, "Eh, I don't know about him, you know. So uh, she sees the trees, and y'all y'all see the forest or something. We do that in families. We do that at work. Uh, If you are in charge of any sort of organization, you might miss some things sometimes because you you're focusing on details, but you don't step back and you don't see. Okay, wait a minute. This is a the bigger issue. just, just life in general. We just don't see things sometimes because we're focused too much on small things and we miss the big picture. That is exactly what the Jews did uh, in Paul's day. They, they could not see the forest for the trees. Interestingly enough, Paul is going to preach a message right here that that points out not just the trees, but then steps back and shows them the forest. And sadly. Sadly, for them, not for us, they, they still don't quite get it. Acts chapter 13, verses 13 through 52. Uh, let's read that and follow along with me. If you don't have a Bible with you, it's, uh, there's one in front of you, or you can follow along on the screen. Both places will match what I'm reading, uh, my translation. Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. But John left them and went back to Jerusalem. They continued their journey from Perga and reached Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, you can speak. Paul stood up and motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our ancestors, made the people prosper during their stay in the land of Egypt, and led them out with a mighty arm. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. This all took about 450 years. After this, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After removing him, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. I have found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart who will carry out all my will. From this man's descendants, as he promised, God brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus. Before his coming to public attention, John had previously proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Now as John was completing his mission, he said, Who do you think that I am? I am not the one, but one is coming after me. And I am not worthy to untie the sandals on his feet. Brothers and sisters, children of Abraham's race, and those among you who fear God, it is to us that the word of this salvation has been sent. Since the residents of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize him, or the, saying of the prophet, sayings of the prophets that are read every Sabbath, they have fulfilled their words by condemning him. Though they found no grounds for the death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him killed. When they had carried out all that, he had, all that had been written about him, they took him down from the tree and put him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and he appeared for many days to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we ourselves proclaim to you the good news of the promise that was made to our ancestors. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, by raising up Jesus, as it was written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have become your father. As to this raising him from the dead, never to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure promises of David. Therefore he also says in another passage, you will not let your holy one see decay. For David, after serving God's purposes in his own generation, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and decayed. But the one God raised up did not decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that through this man forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is justified through him from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. So beware that what is said in the prophets does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, marvel and vanish away, because I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will never believe, even if someone were to explain it to you. As they were leaving, the people urged them to speak about these matters the following Sabbath. After the synagogue had been dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who were speaking with them and urging them to continue in the grace of God. The following sab- Sabbath, almost the whole town assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was saying, insulting him. Paul and Barnabas boldly replied, "'It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first.' Since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we are turning to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord, and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jews incited the prominent God-fearing women and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district. But Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. So we get quite an image here of uh, this part of Paul's missionary journey. Now, they have uh, left Cyprus. They've left the, uh, if y'all were looking at a map like like up here, they've left this left end, uh, this western end of Cyprus, they just sailed up to what would have been the extreme western part of Turkey today, near the border of Turkey and uh, Macedonia, or Turkey and Greece, whatever's right there on its border. I think it's Macedonia. Um, and then they traveled up into the to the mountains. They made landfall at Paphos, or from Paphos, they made landfall at Perga, and they went up to a town called Pisidian Antioch, or Antioch of Pisidia. There were... 15 cities in the Roman Empire named Antioch. So they all got their, uh, uh, their, their nickname from where they were. So they, this isn't the Antioch, the, the, the church that sent them, the one that was up near, uh, up in the uh, area of Syria. This is uh, one a long way away. So don't be confused and think, wait, is this the same Antioch? Nope, they haven't gone home. So that's, that's where we pick up this missionary journey. And Luke begins to tell us uh, some things that uh, he doesn't say, he just shows. Suddenly we're calling Saul Paul. There was no uh, indication that this was going to happen. Uh, there was no, There's no explanation why he does it, but he starts calling him Paul all of a sudden, and he will be called Paul for the rest of Acts. I may have mentioned this a little bit last week. This is just an indication of Paul where Paul was going with the message that he would be a missionary to the Gentiles, and it made more sense to use his Gentile name in preaching to the Gentiles rather than his Hebrew name in preaching to the Gentiles. But something else that is subtle that you might miss is from now on, Paul's name comes first. And that means something. Paul is now the, the leader of the mission. He is now the leader of, the, really, the church in Antioch. It's been Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. Now it's Paul and his companions, and it'll be Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Silas. And this is Luke just explaining the story. This is where we're going with this. You see the purpose and you see the point of Acts, why he is telling these stories. Go into the Gentiles, and it's Paul's job to do it. And Paul is going to lead out. And what we also see here in these first uh, three verses, four verses, 13 through 15, is we see Paul's evangelistic strategy. They get to a town. uh, Pisidian Antioch had a very large Jewish community. They uh, had multiple synagogues in this town, and he goes to one of them, and this is going to be his strategy throughout. The, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. It will always be the way Paul does things. Then we come to Paul 's sermon, the, the obvious main portion of, of this text. and we, six, verse 16 through 41, uh, 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 quite a chunk of scripture we have three full and I say full this is probably not everything Paul said this is just the, the full Cliff Notes version of, of Paul's sermons we have three sermons of Paul three major sermons and the first one is to Jews the second one is to Gentiles and the third one is to Christians and it's one example sermon from each of the missionary journeys three missionary journeys three sermons And we see how he is going to uh, preach to a typical Jewish audience. This would have been his opening sermon in the synagogues when he got the opportunity to speak. He's going to tailor this message to show them that Jesus fulfills the promises to David. Jesus fulfills the promises to the Jewish people, that their hope is, is in this man Jesus, and I've got to tell you, uh, yesterday after learning of the shooting and uh, at the synagogue, and then knowing what I was going to be preaching on this morning, it was it, it, was, it was tough. I mean, it, because let's let's be honest, we serve, we we believe in an exclusive gospel. Anyone who dies without a relationship with Jesus Christ goes to hell. doesn't matter your, your religion. doesn't matter your church membership, your synagogue membership, your mosque membership, your temple membership. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter the, who you are. If you die without a relationship with Jesus Christ, you go to hell. And then to, to know that there is a good possibility, just based on Scripture that the folks who were shot and killed yesterday didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is a hard message to preach. Maybe y'all don't think of it that way. This is the, thing, the sort of thing preachers think of as they're working on their messages. But the truth of the gospel, I believe, is made clearer in a time of tragedy. The truth of the gospel that says our only hope is in Jesus Christ shines when we see a tragedy, senseless killing, and we wonder, and maybe we know based on stated beliefs that the people who lost their lives didn't know Christ. So, what this is totally off my notes, y'all, just, just so you know. Um, so, the, the thought process then is how many other people do we know that may die suddenly, unexpectedly? that we should have shared the gospel with, but didn't. And now they'll spend an eternity in hell. We just never know. Those folks did not go to temple yesterday morning expecting to not make it home. One of those things you think about when you're preparing a sermon. Nonetheless, based on Scripture, the gospel is for everybody. And we go to Scripture and we see disappointment. We see rejection. We see people who had the opportunity, had the opportunity, had the opportunity, and they didn't choose to follow Jesus. Uh, Like I said, this is way off script. I, I don't know if I'm making sense or if this is just kind of a... An emotional babbling, but uh, uh, it's it's a it was a tough it's a tough thing from yesterday. So anyway, uh, back back to where I was uh, looking at Paul's sermon. He is specifically speaking to people who believed. And I guess this is where I'm going with it. Uh, people who believed the very things that the people had gathered that gathered yesterday believed. That's what makes this message hard this morning. Paul had the gospel message, and he went to a Jewish synagogue there, we would call it a temple in Pittsburgh, and they rejected the message. And here's the... I don't even know if I'm going to get to my notes. Here's the problem. They rejected that message. There's a Jewish temple because maybe not a direct line, but because these people rejected Paul's message in Acts. Right? I mean, they, they, they had the gospel, it was presented to them, and they rejected it. And, and, and it, this isn't a, a pick on Jewish people day. Folks, there are so many of us, so many of our family, so many of our friends who have heard the gospel, who who've been presented opportunities, and they have rejected it over and over and over. They couldn't see the forest for the trees. So Paul tries to point out the uh, the forest, tries to, to, to let them understand, you see all these trees, you talk about in your worship you you see all these trees that you talk about in scripture the 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 pillar of the tree of Moses the the tree of the law the the tree of the prophets don't you see that it makes an incredible Forest, Don't you see there's more here? Well, that's, that's what Paul does here. I am going to actually get back to my notes, so uh, y'all can quit whispering about me. Uh, salvation from Egypt is the first thing that Paul talks about. He stood, stands up, he motions, y'all hush. He says, um, I got a word, and he says, y'all, y'all know that, that our, our, our people, we were chosen by God, and, and the, the, our ancestors were prosperous during the time in Egypt, made to prosper, but we also know that uh, by the end of their time, they were made slaves. And we see salvation from Egypt. There's going to be kind of a theme as Paul runs through this, uh, that, he, that God has saved in some way the, the, His people, saved the people of Israel. We see this salvation from Egypt in verse 17 specifically. Uh, he, he led them out with a mighty right arm. At verse 18 shows us a sin of grumbling, and for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness. Salvation, excuse me, and sin. Then he goes on in verses 19 and 20, and after destroying seven nations in the wilderness, they came into the land of Canaan. We see this salvation from the wandering. They've been wandering lost Um, That's a good word that we use for a lack of salvation. You're lost or you're saved. They are wandering, they're lost, and he brings them a a salvation from that wandering. He gives them the promised land. Gave them their land as an an inheritance. Uh, Verse 20, and it took about 450 years. And Then he gave them judges up till Samuel the prophet. They've got everything they need and they're not happy, and we see in verse twenty one a sin of rejection. They don't want God as their king. They want kings like all the other countries have. We want to be like them. The people say, so they here now they sin uh, by rejecting, and God gives them what they ask for, and they get Saul. And Saul was uh, no a, a, a prime uh, a nice example of what it was to be a king. They asked for a king. God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. Then we get to verse 22, and we see salvation from godless leadership. The reason Saul didn't work was because he didn't follow God. And they get salvation from godless leadership in verse 22. After removing him, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. I found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart who will carry out all my will. So salvation from Egypt, they grumble. They they sin by grumbling. Salvation from their wandering, which was the punishment for the grumbling. They get the promised land. They get the promised land. They're not happy. Oh, we want a king. They grumble. They reject God. So uh, the punishment for that was an uh, an inferior king in Saul. And then there's salvation from this godless leadership in the in the person of David. But what do we know about all of these salvations? Well, we know that they were temporary. We know that they didn't fix the real problem. The real issue, the real need of the people, was salvation from sin. And suddenly, Paul jumps about a thousand years from David to Jesus, skips all the kings, skips all the prophets, and says, you know what, here's what you really needed. Verse 23, from this man's descendants, as he promised, God brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus. Before his coming to public attention, John had previously proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people, and by implication, John couldn't do it. As John says, the Savior from sin, the person to whom uh, repentance was owed, was Jesus? We have this big picture now, so so Paul has has said, y'all, you've got this tree of of Egypt, this this weed of of uh, uh, rebellion, of um, grumbling. Then we've got this tree of of the promised land, the tree of the land, a big deal for the Jews. Then you've got this weed of, of rejecting God as, as their king then you've got this, this tree of David you see the trees and the Jews could see the trees the, the, the folks in the synagogue were like yes those are oh absolutely Paul was just preaching the Jewish salvation message is all he was doing he was saying, this, this is what y'all preach every Saturday. This is what y'all come in and you read and, 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 and you walk away going, yes, aren't we good, and, but he's not done. He's going to tell them, but these aren't your real needs. Those are the trees. Step back, folks. Look at the forest. And that's what he presents with Jesus. Salvation from their sin. The real need for everyone. Not Uh, not prosperity, not uh, 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 physical healing, not anything like that. Salvation from sin, not uh, salvation from uh, Egypt, not salvation from persecution, not salvation from enslavement, not salvation from wandering, not salvation from Poverty, not salvation from godless leadership, not salvation from bad kings, not salvation from bad presidents. The salvation that is needed is salvation from sin. That is the message of Paul. And that is the gift of Jesus. But he continues in verse 26. Brothers and sisters, children of Abraham's race and those among you who fear God... So he's talking to Jews and what were considered God-fearers, Gentiles who were part, we've already talked about them somewhat, uh, part of the Jewish faith but hadn't gone through all the steps to become uh, Jewish, uh, become a part of the synagogue. All of you, this word of salvation is sent to us. But even when Jesus was here, he was rejected by his own people even when he was standing right there in front of them. How many times, folks, have we heard people that say, well, if I could see Jesus, I'd believe him. No, you wouldn't. Because they did. These people saw him, and they did not recognize him. Verse 27 says they they didn't recognize the saying of the prophets that that are read every Sabbath. They didn't realize, wait a minute, I just read about the suffering servant. I just read uh, Psalm 22 about everything that would go on with the cross. I just read all of these things, and here I saw the guy that, that was fulfilling those things. Well, that's a strange coincidence. So what are we eating after service? That was their reaction. At best indifference was their reaction. But what we see is not indifference, but rejection. They found no grounds for for the death sentence. Though they found no grounds for the death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him killed. And when they carried out all that had been written about him, they took him down from the tree and put him in a tomb. So not just rejection, but death, murder. Murder. We'd do it too. It it would be done again today. If Jesus came, uh, if it were today instead of 2,000 years ago, we'd kill him. His story, his message was just too radical. No, that, no, no, it just doesn't. We say we wouldn't, but that's exactly what the Pharisees said in his day. Jesus tells the Pharisees at one point, you say, if we had been around, we wouldn't have done what the prophets did. And Jesus tells them, you're the one that killed the prophets. You never believed what they said. We'd do it too. But We see rejection by his own. Paul's showing the forest. He's showing them the big picture. And then verses 30 through 37, show them some trees they hadn't looked at. Because if you've ever sat in the woods, uh, if you go deer hunting or or anything where you just sit, uh, you you get real used to what's right around you. You know that tree and uh, you know this tree and you, you see a shape. Uh, over on, on this tree and, and you think, is that something, is that an animal? And you watch it for five minutes and it never moves and, okay, it's not an animal. Okay. And then you, for a little while, it kind of catches your eye every time you look back at it and then eventually you get used to it. Well, you know the shape of that tree anymore. It doesn't doesn't affect you. You know this bush over there. You know when the wind blows, this limb moves a certain way and it'll catch your eye, but now you're used to it. But Beyond that, you don't, you don't know. So if something happens off in the forest, off in the woods, wait, what was that? Was that. Was, you, Paul's going to show him some, some things a little further out. To say, look, look at what David said. Look at the, the proof here in verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. He was dead, but God raised him from the dead. And, and, and he appeared for many days to those who came up with him from Galilee. So he was raised from the dead. You, you want proof that this guy was God, that, that this guy is the Savior you've been waiting for? He was raised from the dead. He appeared to a whole bunch of people in verse, uh, in verse 30, uh, 31. Verse 32, uh, we uh, uh, and we ourselves proclaim to you the good news of the promise that was made to our ancestors. So not only did he do this, he, God raised him from the dead, he walked around and talked to people. It's a promise that was made, so it shouldn't have shocked you, right? You've got the prophets, you've got the Psalms, you knew this was going to happen. It, we, we ourselves pray, proclaim the promise that was made to our ancestors. Verse 33, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, by raising up Jesus, as it is written, you are my son, today I've become your father. His sonship was made clear. His sonship was exemplified. He didn't become God's son when he raised Jesus from the dead, but it proved that he was God's son when he was raised from the dead. So he, the sonship was made clear. That, that's kind of what you'd expect from God's son, is what he's telling them. And then he goes on, through verse 38 to point out that, Paul, that David was promised that one of his descendants, that he wouldn't see decay, he wouldn't die and rot, to, to get a little more graphic. But turns out, everybody knows David did. You can go see where he's buried right now, Paul would say. But there's one who didn't. One who fulfilled the promise, whose sonship was made clear, who was raised from the dead and didn't see decay. Verse 37 But the one God raised up did not see decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters. Paul has just shown them the forest. He said, you're used to the trees that are right around you. I've shown you that there are trees further back. Now step back. Do you see the Savior? Do you see the promise? Do you see Jesus? Verse 38. This man, through this man forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is justified. Here's the the gospel message. Everyone who believes is justified through him from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. And he warns them, beware that what is said in the prophets does not happen to you. And then he quotes, I don't know if I talked about this I know I've talked about it recently. I don't think it was on Sunday morning. He quotes, I believe it's Habakkuk 1.5, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, Habakkuk 1.5. If you ever see anybody, if you're on Facebook, and you ever see anybody post Habakkuk 1.5 as a positive, uplifting verse, don't click like, click that little, the, the laughy face. Because they are quoting a verse that's talking about destruction. That's the point Paul is making here. The verse, look you scoffers, marvel and vanish away because I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you will never believe. And that's the part people like. I'm doing a work in your day, a work you will never believe. And they want to claim that as a promise. God's going to do something. I will never believe. Well, the next verse says, and what you won't believe is I'm about to destroy you. Using the Babylonians. That's what you won't believe. You wouldn't believe that God will judge you. That's the message of Paul right here to the people. He's telling them, if you don't see the forest, if you don't understand that Jesus is the Savior... That he's the savior you've been waiting for. He's the savior that goes all the way back past Egypt, though he doesn't go that far, but goes all the way back to the garden, back to Genesis 3.15 of the serpent striking the seed's heel and the seed crushing the serpent's head. If If you don't understand that, the marvel that you will not believe is that God will judge you. We don't want to believe that God will judge us for rejection. But rejection equals judgment. And it does not matter your ethnicity. It does not matter your religion. It does not matter your holy book. All that matters is your, is your relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you do not have that relationship with Jesus Christ, if you reject that relationship, you will be judged. Marvel And vanish away. Because I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you will never believe. I'm going to send salvation because that's what Babylon was. Babylon was salvation. Babylon was purification of the people of Israel. I'm going to send it, but the method of it is going to marvel. You're going to marvel at the method. And you're going to think there's no way that he would judge me. I'm one of his chosen chosen people. Paul is saying, you're not chosen until you're Jesus's. You're not chosen until you're his. And and I would love to be able to say that they all got saved. The reality is some believed, but most rejected. If we look at verses 42 through 51... We see that there was interest. Come back. Tell us again next week. And then the whole town shows up. They want to hear this. This was, this was interesting to them. And, and some of those beliefs, some of them were thinking about it, I'm sure, all week. Now, you think that's true? I mean, wow, that, that makes sense. I'd never thought about the whole forest. I've seen the trees, but I'd never thought about the whole forest. That really, that works. He must, I want to hear that again. And, and, and they go back, and then there are others that are saying, oh, this is entertaining. I, it's i got to go to synagogue, it's, it's time I wonder if that Paul guy's going to be there Oh, he's probably going to tell us Jesus is the Messiah again Well, you know, it's entertaining it's, it's something different from what we usually get So I'll go There was interest But look, there was jealousy they, uh, the, the following Sabbath, almost the whole town, verse 44, showed up But When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy Why? Why were they, jeal- were they jealous? Power, they were losing control of their synagogue. Um, they, they, they saw tithes going out the door if these people got saved and started their own church. Uh, they just didn't like the fact that this interloper would come in and teach a message that they didn't approve of and that people were would believe it. It doesn't really matter why. Luke tells us that they were jealous. They were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was saying, insulting him. I mean, it's one thing to disagree, but they didn't just disagree. They didn't just contradict. They insulted him. I'm sure they uh, told some nice stories about him that weren't true at all, but it didn't matter. They were jealous, and they wanted to stop the message that he had. So there was rejection in, in the aftermath of this story. But there were, there were salvations. Paul and Barnabas boldly replied, You know what? It was necessary, verse 46, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. Since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we are turning to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the end of the earth. When the uh, Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced. There was joy. There was excitement. We, we've, we've, I think we've talked about this a little bit before as we've moved through Acts. Imagine being told all your life that you can only get so close to God. And the Gentiles were told that. Even, even as if they were proselytes, even if they had gone through all the rituals, they could still only get so close to God in the temple. The, the relationship with God wasn't there. Judaism didn't have a relationship with God. This was all outside the realm of possibility for them, a relationship with the Father. We talked about it a little bit uh, this morning in Sunday school, that, uh, that we could have a relationship, that we could get that close to God. This was mind-blowing to them. And now the Gentiles, who had no hope of ever getting nearly as close to God as the, the Jews could, and the Jews couldn't even get tight with God. They could only get close. The Gentiles got here. Suddenly they're told, you can be tight with God. And what did they do? They rejoiced. There was joy They honored the word of the Lord, verse 48, and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. There was salvation. So there was interest, there was jealousy, there was rejection, there was joy, and there were salvations. It was bad enough when it seemed like people were interested in the message. It was bad enough when people were responding positively, but now... Since they are converting, they are turning, comes persecution. Verse 50. Or verse 49. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. There was missions, continued missions. Verse 50, but the Jews incited the prominent, God fearing women, the leading men of the city, the people who had a a financial stake in things staying the way they were. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district. When people start coming to Christ, the devil will persecute. It will happen every time. There will be trials. There will be tribulation. There will be persecution. It will not go smoothly when God starts moving because the devil is going to turn up the heat every time verse 51, but Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet against them and went to Iconium. I want to hang out here just a second. Dust shaking was an act that you did, that, 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 that Jews would did when they came, would did, have mercy, would do when they came back to the promised land, when they came home to get that Gentile dirt off of them was symbolic. Of course you couldn't get all the dirt off. It was symbolic, dusting their feet off, getting the the gentiles behind them. Now we're in a good spot. When Paul and Barnabas did this, it wasn't just a mere symbolic act. He wasn't just turning something around on them a little bit. What he was doing was categorizing unbelieving Jews as Gentile pagans this wouldn't be the last time Galatians chapter 4 verses 21 through 31 he does it again one thing I didn't tell you about uh, Pisidian Antioch it is in the region of Galatia it's uh, on the border and as, uh, of Galatia Pisidia and as he moves east he's moving into uh, Galatia when Paul writes the letter to the Galatians, he's writing back, very likely, to this church and others, this church at, that is going to form at Pisidian Antioch. So he's going to write some things to remind them. If, you've been, if you were here and you came on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights as we went through Galatians, they should ring some bells for you. Galatians 4, 21-31 talks about Sarah and Hagar, the two covenants. and But what he tells them Uh, as he explains them uh, to them, he says one is is the promise and and one is uh, the, the slave. And the Jews would say, well, we're children of the promise. We're children of Sarah. We are Isaac's lineage. But what he says in verse 28 is that you too, brothers and sisters like Isaac, are children of promise. You who believe are the children of promise. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ, you are no longer the children of promise. You are the children of Hagar. Okay? In the synagogue, he tells the Jews, I'm dusting the pagan dust, the Gentile pagan dust, off my feet and walking out of here. You are are now not children of promise because you have rejected the Savior. You are now children of the curse, children of the slave, children of Hagar. You are pagan unbelievers. It's a harsh message. But we serve an exclusive Savior that says that there is no way to come to the Father except by Him. And rejection equals judgment. So after getting kicked out of Pisidian Antioch, verse 51, or 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. You were persecuted, you were kicked out. You had to tell your people, your cousins, you're not going to heaven. You've rejected the one who can save you and yet they are filled with joy. There was no joy in the judgment. There was no joy in the condemnation. There was joy that the message of the gospel was now going to the rest of the world. Because by their rejection, we can be saved. By their rejection, the gospel comes to us. And the disciples knew it, and there was joy and the Holy Spirit was in what was going on. So in this passage, the Jews of, the, of Pisidian Antioch, they missed the forest for the trees. Did I, did I make that clear? They missed this picture. And even after Paul points it out, after he draws the picture and shows the trees and then says, now look what kind of forest it makes, they still did not get it. And we thank God that the message then left them and came to the Gentiles. Came to us. The message moved from there. We don't rejoice. We should never rejoice in the death of an unbeliever. I don't care how heinous the person is. We deserve the same hell anybody else gets. I deserve the same hell that, that any tyrant any bigot any mass murderer gets just because I'm not a tyrant bigot or a mass murderer doesn't mean I deserve a different hell so we don't rejoice in their rejection we do rejoice in the message that came to us so we could believe so unbeliever this morning don't make a similar mistake don't miss the forest for the trees. Don't miss salvation this morning because you're focused on the trees of your sinfulness, the trees of your pride, the trees of your uh, uh, self-assurance. Don't miss the gospel because you think you can do it on your own, or because you can you think you can deserve uh, because you think you don't deserve it. You can't do it on your own. And you're right, you don't deserve it. It's not about deserving, though. It's about believing, it's about repenting, and it's about following Jesus Christ. Don't miss salvation, focusing on your particulars. That's unbeliever who's not as familiar with the gospel, but folks, there are so many people sitting in church today that are so familiar with the gospel that you've never responded to it. Not just in this church, but churches all over the country, all over the world. They're so familiar with the message of Jesus that because they've grown up hearing it, they think they've believed it, they think they've accepted it, but they haven't. They have missed the forest for the trees. Sometimes those closest to the gospel have the hardest time hearing it. I believe it is easier to witness to a pagan who has no knowledge of the gospel than it is to someone who has grown up with some semblance of the gospel but not responding to the true gospel. They are inoculated. They've gotten enough of it that they that they no longer are affected by it. But they've never ever received it. This morning don't reject the message because you know it, but you've never believed it. You've never repented. We don't know what today holds. We don't know when this will be the last opportunity to respond to the gospel message. Today may be your last day. I pray it's your day to receive it and not to reject it. So what is the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, was buried and raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that we can have that relationship with him by admitting that we are a sinner and asking God to forgive us. We believe that he is who he said he is. We believe that Jesus is the perfect son of God who died for our sins. And then we choose to follow him by giving our life to him. We believe. We repent. That's the gospel message. And I know so many of us have heard it over and over and over. But have we responded? Have we believed? Or have we missed the forest for the trees? Let's pray. God, I pray we would not miss your message. God, I pray that we would not reject again the message of your gospel. Lord, we thank you that you saw fit to give the message to the Gentiles, that, that Paul, Paul's missionary uh, 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 reason was to take the gospel so that we could hear it and that we could respond. Lord, we rejoice in that, but God, it breaks my heart to know that I have salvation because of someone else's rejection. God, I pray that this morning there would be no more rejection. God, that this gospel message will elicit a response, not. A ho-hum, I've heard it all before. Not defensiveness, but God-brokenness. Repentance. Willingness to lay down our lives and follow you. God, break through that cultural inoculation that has so blinded so many people to their need for a Savior. They've got a church. They've got a Bible. They've got goodness. So they think they have Jesus. God, I pray that you will work on hearts today and break the bonds of rejection. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So what's your uh, response this morning? Will you respond to the gospel? Will you admit, confess, believe, believe, confess? Will you accept Christ today? Will you follow in obedience and believers' baptism? Will you join our church if that's your need? Will you, as a believer, no longer miss the forest for the trees in your own life, trusting, focusing on your salvation but not focusing on godliness? and saying, what do I need to get right? This is your time this morning to, to do some business with the Lord uh, as the praise team leads us. Stand and sing. Jordan will pray for you, pray with you. I'll pray for or with you. Or you can come to these rails and lift it up to the Lord. But you do business this morning as we sing.